This is your key to success in the handmade business. Here in the Chat with Crafters podcast, you'll learn from those who have succeeded and taken their business from zero to hero. Now you can level up. Here's your host, Charles Audler. Today we have a special guest and his name is Marcus. Marcus is the creator of One Man, One Garage. uh, And I came across his shop at the Nashville flea market. And from a distance, his shop kind of caught my attention. A mobile type design that he has that's kind of made out of metal and uh, wood and uh, had all these compartments with products showing and it was very lit up and it had a noticeable uh, Zeppelin uh, attached to the top. Needless to say, I walked up to uh, the Retro Lux and I was captivated by all of the intricately designed items that he had inside. Uh, The work was just remarkable and um, the attention to detail and the way that he had these packaged uh, in in perfect uh, rectangular pieces that you can punch out and put together. Um, I was just really impressed by the entire shop, the entire presentation uh, from start to finish, um, from every design that he had to the details of uh, the Retro Lux to the packaging, to the name of the shop. I have to say that um, Marcus is uh, very impressive in his uh, creative thinking. And um, after interviewing him, uh, I realized that uh, this guy really has a lot of great uh, business insight uh, into the handmade business and in business in general. Uh, Marcus is uh, just a remarkable guy, and I really think you're going to enjoy this interview Uh, So check it out. Here's Marcus. Marcus, tell us how you got started with One Man, One Garage. What was the initial concept, and how has it evolved? (laughs) I get this question all the time, and it's probably one of the most difficult to answer. And and, uh, quite simply, I think just starting was the most difficult part. Um, So much of what we do hinges on the technology of a laser cutter. So that was an integral part of getting getting our feet on the ground and running. Um, so once the the machine arrived, you know, we decided on making that investment and, and getting the machine here. And I knew I could do something with it. Um, so we set off in a direction trying to uh, get some of those ideas out there, create some pieces, and. Um, it wasn't long before we realized that the, the we needed to evolve in a different direction. And six months to a year later, that didn't look anything like how we started. So I think the key there is just basically get get it out there. Get uh, start. Just get started. Yeah. Uh, so your first laser cutter, what, what was the size? I, I've actually looked at it myself personally just to um, – do personal projects. I haven't purchased one yet, um, but the ones I've seen on Amazon, um, you know, were like 600 bucks for a small one. Uh, what, what size was the one you started out with? Um, I, that machine was a 20 by 30 inch. So roughly poster board size was the, the working space inside the machine. The machine itself is quite a bit bigger, but, 
um, that was a good start. And it was entry level into more of a professional series. Um, I would say if you're starting out, the look at your budget and go with the largest table size you can, and that'll kind of dictate uh, the level of the machine. And um, probably around the $1,500 range would be realistic for a nice machine that you could actually start doing something with. And that's relatively cheap these days. Yeah, I think that's pretty cheap. Um, I did see that you've upgraded your uh, laser cutter. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we we now have a fleet of three. And um, they all have their own personalities and characteristics. And we still have uses for that first one. There are things that it does better with detail that the others just can't match, um, mostly because they're, they're geared for speed. And, um, you know, they're, they're ideal for cutting as opposed to detailed drawing. And depending on the project we're working on, they need both. Mm-hmm. You originally talked about uh, your first laser cutter and the path that you were taking. Um, you had to change gears. What, what changed? What happened to make you realize that you had to change direction? Where were you and, and where did you realize you had to go? Getting a couple of those ideas. Uh, going from paper sketches to an actual three-dimensional piece, that took a couple months to, to learn the software and learn how to do design work and start creating in a, in a two-dimensional environment so where the finished product is actually three-dimensional. And um, that's a niche that we discovered um, and sort of just were gravitated towards. Uh, honestly, the, the market dictated a lot of the direction we went. Um, after we put out five or six different pieces, it was, it was pretty clear what was going to be more popular. So we began to try to capitalize on, on that and um, create pieces that were more in line with uh, what was becoming popular at the time. And... Um, yeah, the the first year we set out doing uh, online sales only, and um, it was difficult to get feedback. But um, people were were kind of voting with their pocketbook what was going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, you, I guess your original designs were they just flat objects, or because you talked about it becoming three dimensional. You know, I don't know when I actually discovered your shop at uh, the flea market in Nashville. You know, when you first started out, was it just something kind of, were you just doing like the wood cuts, like the maps and stuff like that, or? No, uh, the maps came later. <laughs> uh, we we kind of went all out with that first piece. That first piece was our, the cathedral lamp. And that that's probably one of the more complicated pieces even to today. Um, but then we created a couple simpler snap together small piece lanterns. Um, but I think we had our flagship piece and that kind of got people interested. And then the, the small pieces are really um, the, the nice entry-level models that um, people could take home and, and put together and, and kind of get started. Um, but the, the whole concept of creating a model where you put the pieces together, that didn't even start at day one. Um, that was one of the the areas 
evolved into. I see. And, that, and that's one of my favorite pieces. Um, I actually have a degree in architecture, so I think that's part of my fascination for the kind of work that you do. And the cathedral piece was the one that actually drew me in um, to the shop from a distance. I could see all the detail. And once I got up close, I was really amazed. And when I saw how you packaged um, each of your pieces to where it was just a flat plane and you had to punch it out yourself and put it together, I thought that was really cool stuff. Yeah, and uh, the flat packing, um, that, that again came later, which is sort of hard to believe now looking back, but um, it, it's, it's almost embarrassing how when you start off online and you really don't know anything about the market, you just sort of wing it. And um, so what I did was my laser cutter was relatively small for that amount of pieces that needed to be cut. So it became an efficiency kind of game. How many pieces can you fit on a piece of wood? And um, once the machine got all that cut, then it was a matter of packaging it up into little sacks and numbering them and then putting all those in a box and then shipping that box out. And uh, somehow people still were happy with that. (laughs) Um, It wasn't until we got our second machine a year later that was able to, to just, we were able to increase size and production and actually began to place individual pieces onto cards that you snapped out. And, and once that happened, it really set the, uh, the standard for, for all of our kits now. I see. Um, was it hard to figure out the snapping process? Cause I, I've looked at them up close and you know, there's like a, I mean, it looks like a 32nd or a 64th of, uh, you know, just a little tiny piece of wood that's holding all the, each piece together. Um, was that hard to figure out? And that's, in, I mean, the precision is just insane. <laughs> it is. And, and we had a really difficult time in the beginning when our suppliers for the wood would change and wood thicknesses changed. And it, there's only so many times we had to redesign an entire piece because we were a couple millimeters off from one supplier to another. Um, so yeah, those tolerances are pretty particular, but we've tailored the the snapping mechanism as, as another niche that we really wanted to achieve because, uh, every model I've seen out there uses glue and I tried that and I was so frustrated. It was, it was just not a happy experience and I, I wanted to be different. So we work with the snapping mechanism. That's cool. You mentioned a few times that you say we, so I guess my biggest question is, is One Man, One Garage still run by just one man, or do you have a team now? <laughs> it takes a village. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud to say that, it w- yes, we, we did start. It was my idea, well, my dream to to get this machine and start creating, but like everything else, um, things things blossomed really quickly and it just so happens my good friend also got on board and he has a, a musician's background so he is creative and an artist of a different sort but he watched me develop my skills and he adapted his own and really fell into place filling in all those needs and um 
Yeah, I, I never set out to build a company, a design company. I just really wanted to be be a kid and be an artist. And the truth is, at a certain point, it grows to be bigger than that. And it takes a company to support all of that. So it, it really can't be run by just one person anymore. And I would love to bring in two or three people. And, and in fact, I have seasonal friends who, uh, who join us in the, in the busy season. Um, it's kind of crazy. As salespeople or designers? No. Um, fortunately, a big part of, of our income still comes from online, and we don't really need sales for that. Um, wholesale is, is another division we're working at this year, which I uh, have my fingers crossed we're going to survive that. And um, the, the local pop-up sales, which uh, people are familiar with the, the Retrolux, um, that's a, another aspect of what we do. It's a very visual aspect here locally in Nashville. Um, so yeah, sometimes I bring the family in, bring my mom in and there's the dog and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big deal now. That's cool. So over the years, uh, from what I've seen online, your garage has seen quite a few transformations. Um, how did the garage start out and what's it like now? noisy, smelly, warm place. Um, I, don't, I, I try to spend as little as time possible there, to be honest with you. Um, about every two hours, I have a timer that goes off, and it tells me my machine's done, and I need to go and feed it new material and pull out the, the finished uh, pieces. And um, that kind of becomes my schedule. Um, I could totally use more space, more electricity, and, and I could probably bring in five or six machines for our busy season. But we do have limitations that force us to, uh, to work within our means at this point. So running three machines is about all I can handle right now. Um, the, uh, the second machine, I never got to the size. The second machine is, is five feet wide and four feet deep. Um, that is able to handle the raw material as it comes. Um, we use a birch that comes in a five-foot square. Um, it's pretty common. It's a cabinet-grade material. And um, and then our third machine, which just came online uh, back around Christmas time, that we use specialized more for the thicker materials. So we, uh, we cut our maps and... Uh, a lot of the the thicker, detailed stuff, and it, it's a four foot by eight foot machine. Um, so it's a it's a beast. It takes it's about the size of a car. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you uh, get that into the garage? Uh, um, well, it helps to rip out a wall <laughs> and put in a new door. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, our second machine ripped out a different wall and put in doors for it, but. Uh, yeah, the poor garage is is uh, a nice nice building right now. <laughs> um, it's kind of difficult to hit in the heat of the summer. You have to choose: do you want air conditioning, or do you want water cooling, or do you want uh, ventilation? And um, the the machines themselves don't require that much power, but the entire accessories to make them run are what are uh, are vital. Um, the lasers themselves run on a water chilling system to keep the glass tube cool. There's uh, ventilation that's constantly exhausting out the smoke and filtering it, pumping it out. Um, 
and then just keeping the garage with a stable humidity and climate control so that the wood doesn't buckle and and bow and uh, the tolerances there are uh, kind of crazy too so we we try to adapt how many years have you been at this it seems like you have a lot of it down to a science <laughs> this is our fourth year and i and i'm still learning every day Every year we try to tackle something new, and it, so no two days are ever alike. But um, yeah, this is we're at that point where wholesale is, is the next part we're looking at, and that's been a lot of fun. And um, we've a, a lot of people got to know us locally because they saw us almost every weekend at some event, something fun. There was a flea market, a farmers market, a street fair, and now we scaled back so that. Uh, we do less of that and focus on the, the busier seasons when the weather's pretty and people are excited and, and we spend those less than exciting times like the 98 degrees uh, we're having now, you know, those we spend working on uh, retooling and, and becoming more efficient and coming up with new designs and getting ready for the next season. Hello, everyone. If you could take a moment and go to the Chat with Crafters website at www.chatwithcrafters.com and scroll all the way to the bottom, uh, you can enter your email address. And by doing so, you'll gain our current freebie. Um, and that freebie will change over time. Uh, so any future freebies will be automatically emailed to you um, by you subscribing and uh, you will not be able to access any of the prior freebies. So the sooner you head there, uh, the sooner you gain access to free content um, that will be sent to your email occasionally. Uh, so go ahead and head on over to www.chatwithcrafters.com and enter your email address uh, at the bottom of the page and you will receive our current freebie. The mobile store that you have, the Retro Lux, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, it looks like uh, you built it from scratch from what I've seen in the pictures. Yeah, it's, it's totally Home Depot, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, we started, uh, gosh, it has an interesting history. It, uh, long before I was doing this, I, I had uh, been in the uh, liquidation business, I guess, uh, pallets sales and um, from big box stores and I had started building this trailer thinking this is going to really help me and, I, and I'll help me uh, do something like flea markets where I can uh, bring the most product out there and, and show people but things changed really quickly I went to a box truck and you know and this kind of sat in the backyard for about five years just waiting for, for a new life and, and it was a, a sad pile of plywood and mix match sort of things. So um, I started about June of, of that first year thinking, you know, there's, I need to go back and revisit this project. And I, I think I can kind of transition in, into a new life with it. And uh, it took about three or four months, you know, once, once the ball got rolling and um, creating the, what you see now is, it's been fun, and, and it's at the time I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea that there were other mobile stores out there. I had no idea how many events that it could be used at, or 
you know, none of that was taken into account when I began. I just knew that this would be a fun thing to try, um, you know, to invest a quarter year in building. <laughs> um, the the Nashville Mini Maker Fair was in September of that year, and uh, so that was my deadline: get the thing ready enough to to make an appearance. Um, and it was a sad appearance, but we made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really cool, and I think that's definitely a. Um, an attention getter. I mean, it, it drew me in um, amongst all the vendors, uh, just the way it was uh, lit up. And um, I thought it was really interesting because I couldn't really understand um, if it was something you purchased and modified. Because again, with my background being in architecture, I'm trying to figure this thing out. You know, it, it, it looked like just a fancy display unit um, for everything you had. Uh, the Zeppelin on top caught my attention. And then as it got darker and we made our way around the flea market, um, by the time we looped back around, then it, the lights were all lit up and it was just, it was really cool. I mean, I was, I was really impressed. And then seeing the pictures online and how you built it. Yeah. It's definitely had some impact. Yeah. And you know, and that really has become an iconic piece of the puzzle. Um, I, I believe there's a, uh, it's led to building a name for ourselves here locally. And, and of course, we use the photos to, to show people outside of Nashville, you know, this is the, the live show, what it's supposed to look like. But, um, you know, presentation is a lot. And that, that really, once we embraced what this was turning into, you know, we, we put a lot more effort into the, the trailer. And I chose a design that was familiar, but still filled all of our needs as far as storage and presentation. And um, so it, it was a good challenge. I, I really, you know, being the big kid, I, I got to build this big puzzle. Um, and it, it's about to take on a new life, too. We're about to rebuild the inside and, and finally put some effort into it like it needs. Um, it, it does get used almost every weekend, and it now travels a couple different cities, and, and I think it, it deserves the respect, finally, um, that it, it kind of got overlooked in the beginning. But um, one of the, the big parts that uh, that I think do stand out, we, we try to bring everything we need with this trailer. And when you do pop-up sales, you're usually not given a whole lot of resources. Usually you supply your tent, you supply your tables, you supply everything you need to carve out a store out of nothing. And building this trailer allows us, having enough space for this thing allows us to bring out uh, umbrellas for shade when it's hot and sunny. It allows us to bring out heaters when it's winter. And it, it, everything we do creates this um, this different experience that makes people stop and look. And that's really the key to, you know, when you look at our stuff quickly, it's just, you know, it's cute lanterns and, you know, and, and little gifts and stuff. But it takes a second for someone new to stop and sort of absorb what's going on because it's a busy place. And um, once they see that, well, you're not getting the finished item, you're actually getting the model, and you get to take it home, and you get to experience this building 
of it and you take ownership and you can give that to someone else and it, it brings families together and um I just think it starts, a lot of it's very subtle, but it starts with that trailer with creating a different experience than what they're used to at a typical pop-up sale. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I think there's definitely an element of um, play, you know, and in modern life, things are just so hectic and busy that, um, you know, we don't really find time to to just play and have a good time. And, and part of that... Um, you know, with electronics and everything with the kids, I, I can see what you're talking about that, you know, it's something you can bring home and you can build and relive being a kid if you're the adult and your kids can help, you know, in the process. And then in the end, you have a cool piece that's a good conversation piece. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's difficult to convey all of that in just a few seconds. And this is one of the tools we use for that. And, and plus, uh, we also bring an onboard generator. Um, so we're playing music. We've got fans going, heaters going. We've got um, the lights. Uh, it's great when we can set up at night and the thing lights up like a Christmas tree. And oftentimes, we're kind of the light in the, uh, the dark <laughs> corners. And, uh, yeah, it's attention-getting. And, and honestly, it opens up a lot of doors at the shows we go to because they they like to put us in fairly prominent places. Um, so it's nice to make friends with promoters and, and they take care of you. And, um, and that, that's also a big part of what we do too. That's awesome. So what were some of your initial challenges when you first got started? I mean, what were you doing? Um, were you working a full-time job? Um, you know, where were you when you began One Man, One Garage? Well, I was in the middle of the liquidation thing, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, and I think if you're that type of person, it's in your blood that you just want to be self-sustaining without having a boss. And um, you do whatever you can to, to sort of make that happen. And I could see that there was going to be an end to the career in, in liquidation because everybody and their brother was getting involved in it too. And once you start losing that niche, you, you see that you got to switch to something else. And this was always on the back burner for me. I, I had a, a job a long time ago, 15, 20 years ago at a, a trophy and engraving company. And I I was on the creative side, so we were doing the plaques and the trophies, and they had a laser engraver in the back, and all it did was these boring little plastic tags that you put on the trophies, and you know someone needs to do it, but that machine is 20 years ago is pretty close to the machine that I bought in the beginning, and it took that amount of time for the resources to come around for the technology to catch up, to make it affordable where someone could actually make that investment and bring it home and, and start. And so I always knew learning about that part of the business. I always knew that I could make a living doing what I'd already done, but I just wanted to, to go a different route. And I just, I had no idea where that would take me. When did you, realize that you were able to transition to it being full-time were you you know was there any fear and um you know because that's a big leap especially if you know you have a sustainable income and then all of a sudden you're gonna jump and take the risk 
it was happening really quickly, to be honest with you. I would say within two months. Um, it was pretty clear that this was going to be the direction I needed to go. Um, so yeah, I was able to to wind down the other business and start to really focus attention on this one. And, um, and that makes a big difference. Um, but again, we didn't do the local thing until a year later. So there's a, a lot, a, a big leap of faith in putting all your eggs in the online basket and trying to reach an audience abroad. So, you know, your photography has to be on point and, um, trying to build up your online store and ratings when there are none. And, uh, it takes a lot of, a lot of brave people to invest in your art support at that time, but it was worth it. Tell me a little bit about, you mentioned that there's a big difference between, um, selling online and selling locally. What are those differences for you? Like what, what kind of business, you know, mind do you have to be in in each different frame? Because I, I know people personally that are considering transitioning um, to selling locally. How do you how do you transition to do that, and what do you need to be thinking about? You know, that was a, a chaotic time for us. I'm going to try to remember, but I I remember one of the biggest challenges we had was. Uh, again, that was when we were putting everything in lunch sacks and numbering them and, and just, I, we could not show up at a local event with a whole bunch of sacks. <laughs> so the whole concept of presentation, packaging, branding, making things look like they all came from the same person, um, the fact that we needed a display model of the finished product alongside the kit that you would actually buy. It seems so basic now, but those are things we had to learn. Um, so when you're online, you just need one display for a photo or and be able to, to get those pictures that, that tell the story. And then you don't really need them anymore. All you have to do is reproduce the, the finished kit. Um, so yeah, we we had a learning curve when it came to labeling and and instructions and presentation and, and the trailer fell into place all about that same time to to help with that presentation also. Did you get help from anybody or you know advice? I mean, how how did you realize you know that you had a focus on that? People vote with their wallet, and I'm a people watcher, so. When we're out there almost every weekend, I'm I'm actually watching what people pick up, what they look at. Why do they focus attention on one thing and not another? Why do they like one item whereas, whereas I love something else? You know, what are we doing different? And the and, and feedback when someone wants to pick something up and and buy it. Why? Why are they passionate about that? What made them choose that? And everybody has a story. And I think every one of those stories are valid and worthy of, of getting to know because that that's such a rewarding experience when you're doing that in person. And, and they love to meet the artists too. So it wasn't until we started uh, the in-person sales that I realized people – get to know and they fall in love with you first. You're the brand. And 
a lot of times they just wanted to take something home that was a piece of you. So maybe it was a business card or maybe it was a little $5 trinket. Um, and later those people often came back, they remembered the experience, and they progressed on to the bigger pieces too. So every little thing matters there in the beginning for sure. That's really interesting. Have you ever uh, had a, a design that you thought was going to be very successful and something that you, you know, weren't really expecting to succeed kind of took off? And did you ever have that kind of <laughs> disjunction? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, almost everything, I think, goes through a, uh, a, a training or, or a uh, a period of testing. Um, it, it really does take a lot of effort to create the prototype and create the kit and present that in a way that people get. Um, and it's one reason why it's so difficult to take all that time in the midst of everything else that you need to have going on to take that time and, and effort and, and put into it. Um, there's quite a few ideas that people love that just failed miserably because we couldn't present it in a way that made sense or it was just too difficult to understand. Or uh, one of the more popular items was, is our birdhouse camper. And it's really a simple, fun, quirky piece where you, you build this little camper and, um, and it can, uh, you can sit it on a shelf or it can become a birdhouse if you want to put it outside too. And in the beginning, I, I love this whole concept where you pick the colors and you pick the color of the body and then you pick the color of the little cute awnings and you can pick the color of the flowers and you kind of build this kit, sort of a, you know, a buffet style system. And that was what I was, I had pictures in my mind when I, when I was designing it all and it failed miserably. <laughs> Uh, no one really got the concept. They would bring up two pieces of this or one of that or be missing something else. And it, it, it just, um, what we learned was we need to make some decisions, package certain colors together, watch what people like. And, and we did some testing with, you know, why does someone like this one versus that one? And um, so it took a while for us to narrow that down into eight primary colors and, um, basically give them those options and, and now they like it. So um, simplifying is a difficult challenge. Right. So I see that some of your newer designs have color added to them. How do you go about doing that? Uh, that was uh, a challenge we we overcame back in uh, around Christmas time or, or just after Christmas and the next slowdown season. Um, the, the campers were, were a big part of that. Um, they're such a unique item that their vibrant colors are, are how we picture a, a retro looking camper. And so I would build the kits as display models. We'd spray paint them and, and these authentic sort of vintage colors. And, you know, four times out of five, people wanted to buy the one on display and the, the basic kit that, they were able to buy, even though the price was right, they they just thought it was going to be too much work for them to paint themselves. Some people did, but it wasn't until we came up with a way 
where we could spray paint kits, develop a system where the cards themselves could be sprayed whole, so they still punched out the pieces and that would be individually painted. And um, yeah, that, that was a great system we had to develop. The the trouble was is it it still got out of hand. We just couldn't keep up, and it, it relied on us going out in the backyard, setting up a table out in the open air, spray painting with crates of spray cans, trying to get all the colors lined up, make sure they dried, make sure it wasn't raining, they weren't left out, you know, and, and then you had drying time and then packaging time, and, and it just got out of hand really quickly. Um, so we came up with a new system where we now use a, an inkjet printer that's able to handle three-dimensional objects, and uh, we're able just to slide the cards in. It takes about a minute, sprays the, the ink on in, in extreme detail, and um, you know paints the flowers, the flamingos, the barbecue grill, and all the different colors. And and uh, when it's all done, you know it can be packaged quickly and um, so streamlining, you know, into a very fast system really has made a big difference. I see, so yeah. it was kind of manual at first, and now you you're kind of automated it a little bit. A little bit, yeah. It's, it's definitely helped out. And we've added a, a new printer also so we can run two at the same time and, and double our production. Um, yeah, we're, we're about maxed out there. But that is a, a big part of – so it's a two-man operation primarily now. And for all the things that need to happen, um, we had to develop systems for every single design we have to – to make it as fast as possible. One of the conversations that we've had uh, prior to this interview is you mentioned that there's, you know, people struggling out there in many different ways. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? I run into people all the time at, at sales. Uh, my my fellow artists who, um, you know, they're, they're not sure why what used to work may no longer, or they're not sure how to get started, or they're, um, haven't developed any online presence or, you know, they're not adapting to, to new technologies and, and social media. And, um, so yeah, everybody's got their own challenges and, and sometimes it's time, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's, uh, you know, they're, they're all different. So, uh, um, I try to take time out and share what works for us and, and ideas that we know work for other peers of ours. And um, it, it's some of it, you know, it, it, you take uh, with a grain of salt, I guess, because we, we don't face all the same challenges everybody else does. <laughs> but um, there, there's a lot of common sense things that, uh, that people could change if they, if they look into it. And um, I, I think everybody is, should be moving forward with constantly looking and, and adapting. Um, I'm sure Nashville is a uh, a very special place right now. We have growth in all directions, and we have people coming in who are trying to build their nest and you know outfit their apartments and condos and houses. And you have families moving in. You have children who are excited about um, being makers and. You, um, there's so many opportunities to to be a maker, an artist, or you know, show your craft and and make a living at it now. 
You said that there's some common sense things that um, you've kind of come across. Is there any that you can share with listeners offhand that you can think of? I think the, a lot of that really depends on where your challenge is coming from. Uh, for some people, they they aren't sure how to get into shows, or maybe they're already getting their feet wet and they're just not sure how to take it to the next level, or maybe they work a full-time job and they just don't know, you know, is, is their hobby something they can turn into a career or um, not realizing the value of an online presence and being able to, to reach customers all the time, even if you're just a weekend project or, uh, you know, that. There are a lot of people I talk to who are set up online with their Etsy store, and they're they're really frustrated because it just doesn't seem to be as successful as they want it to be, and and that's probably a whole different topic on its own. But uh, you know, whether it's online and or in person, or uh, you know, not being able to, uh, it could be the pricing of of your items, you know, or maybe. You're, say if you're a painter, I, I think that there's been a little bit of a decline in, in people just buying artwork that's two-dimensional and you put on a wall. It, I don't think people are doing that as much as, say, a three-dimensional piece where they sit on a shelf or a desk. and Or um, you know, it could be that uh, just a canvas isn't enough anymore. Maybe your artwork needs to go to a T-shirt or a mug or or something different. Um, you know, maybe uh, one of the things we, we do try, one of the formulas we do try to work with is we kind of have a small, medium, and large price point. Um, we do have some large pieces like the cathedral lamp or our six-foot Zeppelin kit, and those are higher price points, and I don't expect to to really see too many of those go out the door. But those are the pieces, the, the iconic pieces that kind of give us legitimacy, like we know what we're doing. So they take home the $20 and the $30 kit, and and that's a great experience, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, or sometimes it's the little $5 airplane or keychain. You know, it's just something to remember us by. So small, medium, and large price points are, are a good way to, to kind of make a well-balanced store, whether you're online or in person. That's some great advice. Um, knowing what you know now, if you can go back to the start of your business, what would you do differently? <laughs> back everything up. <laughs> <laughs> back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it, um, and literally back up to a cloud. Um, we, we had a network disaster happen six months in that brought us down to our knees where we lost everything. Business had just started to get off the ground, and we had a network failure on a hard drive, and everything died overnight. And uh, so, yeah, common sense things. I, I've done all the rookie mistakes. So, yeah, back up to a cloud. Make sure you have uh, – <laughs> Um, in fact, to have backups of everything you do. I mean, we have, we could just about build 
a few more laser machines with all the backup parts we have for failures. You know, there's another laser tube out there. There's power supplies. There's water pumps. There's everything we need so we don't have to stop for downtime uh, if something goes wrong. And and you can probably apply that to almost any, any industry, um, you know, whether it's a sewing machine or a printer or, or whatever you might use. Um, it's kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket, and if it fails, then you're you're kind of at a standstill until you can get things back going again. Right, right. So, yeah, not uh, you know diversifying in a way that you're not relying on one particular piece because if that piece breaks down, then you know if it's vital to you, to what you do, you need to make sure you have something else as as a backup. For for local shows, um, you know, there's credit card processing and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you have backups uh, of those devices too, or how do you handle if you know if the credit card machines go down on you? <laughs> we we're very different, I believe. When I when I talk to my peers, um, we use the Etsy system, and I think we're probably the only people who do, but. We uh, also realize how important that Etsy store is to what we do. It's probably about two-thirds of, of our entire business. And I see almost everybody uses Square. And Square has, a, honestly, way better software. It's a great system. It's reliable. It goes offline, and you can still use it. The card readers you can buy anywhere. Um, so you're, I could totally see why that's a great system. Um, the reason we use Etsy is the price point, I believe, is exactly the same. But the big difference is, is it raises the rankings by counting as sales in our store. So we sell the same products locally. Well, at the end of a weekend, there may be another 100 or 200 sales accounted for. That you know, it, it definitely raises some flags in the higher-ups. Um, when they look at what to promote next. Right. And that's kind of been key to our growth is, is being on their radar. And I can't help but think that having local sales has made an impact on that. So if I'm understanding correctly, for every sale that you have locally, um, it shows up in your Etsy store as being a sale. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, it's tied in with the Etsy store. So part of the inventory system, which we don't really rely on, but the yeah, the numbers go towards those those items, um, whether it's online or local. Tell us, Marcus, what are you focusing on now? Um, whether it's new designs, SEO, website marketing, what what kind of uh, areas are you focusing on for your business? Uh, it, it's wherever the next bottleneck is. To be honest with you, um, where. I think we slowed down with growing our catalog, even though that's where my passion is. I, I have to remember some days, oh, yeah, I, I am a designer, um, <laughs> when there's all the other things that have to be done. But that's my therapy, sitting down at the end of the night and putting an hour or two and designing something new and, and getting that prototype out there and, and to the market. Um, that's always been the key to our growth is to – to reach a whole new category we never saw before, whether it's a birdhouse or a map that's a piece of art on the wall or it's a lantern or maybe something that someone uses at a wedding display. All those are very different worlds that bring a new audience into our entire store. So getting 
know, constantly creating is, is always a challenge, and finding time for that is, is very important. And even our downtime where we're not producing the sales, like in the busy season, that's still the time to change gears and retool and come up with new designs or methods or streamlining what you can do so you can do more. Um, this is a time where we try to bring in new equipment or maybe squeeze out another corner in the garage for more space or, um, you know, having making sure we have all of our shipping supplies or all of our uh, raw materials. You know, we need two or three months in advance worth of materials on hand just because it's not always there when you need it to to get in overnight. So that's and that was another challenge in the beginning was out reaching our resources, um, whether it was pieces of glass or wood or materials. When they're being imported, it takes a much longer um, lead time than just going down the street and buying it from the store. Um, so wholesale is a big. Uh, big market for us. It's a way for us to reach other cities, other markets abroad. Um, the West Coast is kind of opening up there, and it's kind of nice to reach that. Um, there's, uh, We can always work in our Etsy store, and they just opened up allowing 10 photos per item instead of the usual five. So it's a whole new opportunity to continue telling the story of each piece um, through photography, through descriptions, and keywords, tags, phrases. You know, it's trying to stay on, on top of all that. It's ever-changing. Um, marketing is probably a place we could focus on more, but it, it's, it's difficult to, uh, to do that, I guess, um, when you're not an expert. Um, but we're learning. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think just going along for the ride and you know trying to hang on is at this point is is where we're at. And uh, looking at the the big picture, I, I would like to move into a space where we can have a larger garage, a larger warehouse, and and start. You know, letting some uh, some bigger machinery do the heavy lifting, literally, and you know, kind of streamlining streamlining what we do, I guess. Um, maybe balancing a little little personal life in there too. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, have you considered having a, a retail space? I know in, in um, Cool Springs Mall, uh, you have you know that shared space with other artists. Uh, have you thought about having your own space? I, I can definitely say no. Um, I, I tried that a long time ago with a computer store, one of my endeavors, back when there used to be a computer store, mom-and-pop mom type place. And um, I realized that's definitely not the place for us. I, I like the idea of a shared space where we share the labor, we share the overhead cost, and um, the Cool Springs Mall Artisan Market has been a great place for that, and, and they just opened their store in Green Hills in May, and that's been another great opportunity, but wholesale really is going to be the key for us to, to reach out further, 
Um, when you look at the cost, uh, it's easy to just to view the profits are cut in half, but you're also reaching a larger audience and sharing the cost with those retail stores who are going out of their way to, to market you and and reach their customers. So we don't do that with every item. It's a, it's a limited catalog, but wholesale is, is a way that we're going to go as opposed to trying to open a, a store on our own. That's really interesting. Um, and I guess that makes the most sense, and it kind of goes along with um, you know, what you discovered later on with the, um, the punch out type idea. Um, because business wise, um, you don't have to put it together yourself. Um, it creates an experience for the user. And, uh, if you have to ship it off, it helps with shipping instead of trying to, uh, make sure it doesn't break in the shipping process. Um, the same thing, what you're looking at with wholesale, it seems like, um, you know, the retailers let them do the retail thing and, uh, you know, like you said, you're not making as much profit, but uh, it's the more efficient way to, to operate. Yeah, definitely. And I, it's taken us four years to really get to that point. I, I definitely would not start there. Um, and again, we're using a limited catalog for that because not every item, is, it's just the formula just doesn't work. So we look at how much time an item takes for us to package, you know, and, and the cost to make that and look at the, you know, weigh that against the, the profit margin. And some of the items are a no-brainer, and I, I couldn't, I'd be lying if I said we didn't think of new designs that fit into that formula specifically. Um, it's, it definitely opens up, uh, you know, those limitations you have to work in you can, can allow yourself uh, different kinds of creativity, I guess, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, it, even if we uh, set up in a retail environment at a show, that show has a cost. The setup fees, bringing the trailer in, generator, you know, our time, food, travel, um Everything adds to a cost, and even you know, looking at how many hours are involved. Um, and once you start looking at those numbers, it's not that extreme at a at a typical fifty percent markup in wholesale when you measure that. You know, it, it may not be so much of a stretch um, when you start really looking at the numbers. So it's definitely something to consider. That makes sense. Um, I, I do have a, a lot of questions for you, and I think we're going to end up breaking this up into uh, multiple episodes. So we can go ahead and wrap it up. What advice do you have for listeners? <laughs> I, I think the biggest takeaway is just get out there and start. You know, um, we run into so many great, passionate people when we're out there. And, and I love hearing people's stories, and I love hearing the directions they come from. And people approach us with their ideas, and they're passionate about it, and I fully support that they go out and follow their own dreams as opposed to trying to get someone else to, to get on board. So, you know, if no matter what you're doing, maybe it's crocheting, maybe it's uh, painting, or it's woodcraft, you know, there's 
there's such a market out there that you can reach and 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 basically build uh, another chapter in your life that could be fun and you know just doing it just starting it is really the biggest hurdle and you don't need the full business formula the business plan to to get started you really just need the passion and the the, the guts to to try to make that first piece and the rest kind of falls into place as you need it so just get out there and do if someone wants to check out your business or reach out how can they find you i think my website is probably the easiest place to do that that's sort of the where everything comes together so one man one garage.com is uh, the best place to reach us and from there you can see our retail store and you can see our calendar where you find us live locally and uh, where we're going next and uh, you can look at the photos that we talked about with the trailer and um, see the pictures of the puppy, which is our mascot. She's she's really the one that holds it all together. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can just follow follow our dreams with us. That's great. Well, Marcus, thank you for being on the show. Um, I will definitely put links uh, on the website uh, under the show notes, and um, I look forward to speaking with you next time. All right, sounds great. I appreciate it. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Crafters. More episodes are coming soon. To stay updated with each release, subscribe on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating and review. Thanks for tuning in to Chat with Crafters. See you next time.